Hello everyone, Trish Guys here, divorce and pre-mediation coach. Welcome to Shit I Learned from My Divorce, a show where I share with you the good, the bad, and the ugly of what I learned from my divorce. 12 years of trying to live my life while my former partner was trying to destroy it. Trish Guys is not a legal professional, nor a licensed mental health professional. The information she provides is not intended to be legal advice and is intended only for informational and entertainment purposes. Some of the topics on the show may be triggering for some, so please use caution and your own discretion. Topics discussed on the show may not be suitable for young children. I do this show for a couple of very important reasons. The first one being that I feel we need to normalize the behaviors and the craziness that occur during a separation and divorce. It's helpful for both the people going through a divorce and those around them to understand what to expect and how to handle it. Going through a divorce is like nothing else that you will ever experience in life. Number two, I want to prompt you to start thinking about things in a different manner so you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. I also hope to fill some of the knowledge gaps you may have and provide you with some ideas or solutions for what is troubling you at the moment. And most importantly, I would love for you to walk away from each episode just a little bit stronger, feeling a bit more validated and a little more settled because you have a bit of knowledge in your toolkit. So I recommend after listening to each episode, take a few minutes and think about what you've heard. What resonated with you? Do some things seem a bit more clear to you now? Or do you need to do a bit more digging? The whole purpose of my show is to get you to see things perhaps in a different light or for you to slow down or step back a little bit and make sure that you're clear about what you're doing, but more importantly, why you're doing it as opposed to reacting. Okay, with that in mind, let's get on with the show. Every time I work with a client or a colleague on a case that involves coercive control, I can't help but think that there has to be a better way to protect victims than to rely on the justice system. I've spoken many times about how much it incenses me when I hear story after story of lawyers, judges, reunification therapists, mediators, arbitrators, police, getting it wrong and failing to protect victims who have turned to them for help. In my mind, there is no excuse for failing to protect victims of abuse, especially when a large part of one's job is to do exactly that. It leads me to believe that the problem is far greater than a lack of education or a lack of understanding. Information about coercive control and abuse in general is everywhere. A person doesn't even have to look that hard. But a person has to be inclined towards wanting to do their job to the best of their ability, especially when it entails the protection of vulnerable people. So where does that leave us? Until I figure out how to miraculously change the archaic mindsets that seem to reside throughout the legal system, I feel we need to look in places where we can affect the most change. And that is with our younger generations. We need to start looking at what are they learning? What are they being taught? What are we modeling for them? One only needs to look at the recent headlines about the sexual assault allegations within Team Canada to understand how important it is to start looking at what we're teaching our young people about appropriate behavior. Research tells us that abusers are made, not born, which I feel should get everyone hope for a better future with the potential for less abuse. So today's conversation is going to be about what young people are being exposed to, being taught, and what they're learning about relationships. And time permitting, talk about whether there's hope for adult abusers to change their ways. With me today to explore this issue is educator and leadership expert, George Zigner. George is a retired educator who spent 43 years in the education business in a variety of teaching, coaching, administration, and leadership roles. During his tenure, George had the privilege of working with approximately 15,000 students, their families, teachers, and administrators. 
George specializes in teaching others how to build relationships and develop leadership expertise, but not just in the work world, in your personal lives as well. George is a co-author of the book, The Parent Mentor, Recipes for Learning, and holds a Master's of Administration in Curriculum and Leadership. Welcome to the show, George, and thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to hearing your insights into these important topics. It is my pleasure. So let's jump right in. You and I have talked at great length various times about all of the different cases of abuse in the news, and most recently the case of Hockey Canada. So I'd like to start off with a bang and with the biggest question in my mind, which is, how do we fix this big problem? Although it's an interesting question and a very, very important question, there is no easy answer. There is no so-called magic bullet. Uh, the complexity of the question is only more reflected in the complexity of the answer. There's so many different ways of looking at it because there are so many variables that affect how an individual grows up, learns, and in turn exhibits his behavior. Okay, well, let's take a look at that in terms of as they grow up. I think that's really important because you know a lot of us are trying to do some great work at the stage where people have been abused in adulthood or they are currently abusing in adulthood. But I feel like we need to look much farther back and look at what they're learning just in their childhood, because there's so many different influences. What values do you think we should be teaching our kids? I believe strongly that the first thing that we should all, regardless of the age level, but more specifically, early in life, because as we know, research tells us that early learning, early intervention are key to our behaviors down the line. So if we begin teaching our children the idea of respect, dignity for other human beings, not limiting it to gender versus gender, but rather humanity in general, I believe we will have a good beginning to a value system that addresses everyone's needs, wants, and in turn, positive behavior. So then you feel that in terms of the male gender, or young males, are they getting mixed messages at all? Like even if we talk about the Hockey Canada situation, um, you talk about we should be instilling in our young people respect and dignity for all. Do you feel, especially the male generation, or the, the male genders, are they getting mixed messages? Are they, even if they're learning that value system at home, are we as a society, our schools, our sports, are they complementing those value systems? In theory, yes. It is important to understand that there are mixed messages in our society, whether they're deliberate or incidental, we don't know. However, we need to sort of address the issue that everybody talks about the idea of what's fair, what's not fair, etc., but practice sometimes does not show the fairness or equity. And what happens is that there is still that old-fashioned, I'll call it, patriarchal mentality when it comes to males, when they transgress, as you pointed out, Hockey Canada incident, uh, some incidents in schools that are aggressive, when it is said that boys will be boys. Well, that kind of mentality excuses their behavior. In other words, it diminishes, if not extinguishes, the whole idea of accountability. Exactly. I couldn't agree more that it excuses certain behavior. And, and, and people talk a lot about, as do I, 
the damage that does when they behave a certain way and damage that does to victims. But I also think it does damage to the boys because the message is giving them is that behavior is fine. You know, it's just, you can't help it. You have no control over it. You're just a boy. And I really think that really, um, takes a lot of, uh, accountability away, but also power and control. And it's, it's giving the notion that, that, uh, Hey, it's nothing you can do. That's just the way we are as men and celebrating that, which I think is a, a very big mistake. What should we, what kind of message should we be giving our boys instead of the boys will be boys mentality? I, I believe very strongly, again, as I said before, is the idea of males specifically, but both genders, should understand, first of all, that respect and dignity should be given to everyone, regardless of age and gender, race, religion, etc. Secondly, I believe that if males specifically, because of our patriarchal backgrounds and, and, and beliefs over the years should be taught deliberately more so because they already have, to some extent, some of the males, that is, the attitude of self-entitlement, the idea that, well, you know, I can do this, I can do that, and they become sort of almost entrenched in a mentality of pseudo-superiority. They think that they are superior to others because they have been either getting away with things like that or nothing has ever been done to make them accountable that this is wrong. So obviously your mentality, as you discuss this, has come from somewhere. And I'll assume it came from your influences in childhood. Could you take us through what influences you had in childhood, either good or bad, and what they taught you and how your philosophy on respect and dignity especially towards women, how that evolved throughout your life. Yes, indeed. Uh, my background is uh, of you know European immigrant status to some extent. And because of the fact that my, my family, specifically my parents, were very traditional in many ways, my father specifically still believed in the patriarchal system because that's how he was brought up. So from him, I learned a number of things. First of all, the idea of strength, the idea of work ethic. Unfortunately, he wasn't as uh, easygoing when it comes to being fair to everyone else. And that comes from his background, his war that he participated in, et cetera, et cetera. However, on the other hand, my mother, who was the main influence in my life, was very... Uh, not only intelligent as a, as a person in terms of to help me out, but also very caring and made me accountable. So she gave me the sense that accountability with love produces a certain value system that you can hang on to. And as a result, I became more in line with the value system that they both shared, but my mother instilled in me because of her behavior, et cetera, et cetera. Now, having seen all that and having gained respect for my mother because of what she has done and what she did all along and how she handled the family and all the sacrifices she made, made me realize that and appreciate what a quality individual she was. And that has helped me to gain respect for human beings in general, my parents, but women specifically because of how she demonstrated 
that unconditional love, care, and instill in me that accountability. So would you then agree with, there's a, there's a statement that we, we talk about quite a bit in, in, in my industry, when uh, couples worry quite a bit about how their children will fare through and after a divorce, especially if one parent is uh, not very healthy um, or, or, or abusive. And I routinely say that research shows that as long as you have one parent, and it doesn't have to be a parent, preferably, or someone that's influential in your life, as long as a child has someone that's a safe place, healthy parent, does not blur the lines of parent and child responsibilities, and gives them unconditional love, they have a far greater chance of being okay. That's also with other interventions. It sounds like you would agree with that. Do you agree with that statement based on your own experience through your childhood? Very much so. In fact, I believe that uh, the, the premise that I believe in is that there are two major things that need to occur in a child's life in order for that child to be brought up in a value system that is beneficial to them and the rest of society. And that is based on quality education, based on respect and dignity, and accountability along the line of the respect and dignity. Because Coupling those two ideas will help the individual to maintain a path, if you will, that is going to help not only them, but also our society. So what interests me is how you grew up. It's probably not that dissimilar to how many other males grow up. You know, either the father is not around, father's not emotionally available. And keep in mind, listeners, I'm very much generalizing here, but this is just to make a point. And in some cases, the fathers aren't exactly whom you would want for a role model, let's just say, in some abuse cases. So in your situation, though, so you say your mother was very influential and your father was a bit, you know, had the strength and the work ethic, but a bit harsh and, and a little unfair. How then does someone like yourself or any other male out there learn how to be a respectful man? How a man, a male, if you identify as a male, how you should behave. You know, where is that beacon for you? And how did you learn that along the way? Because I know many of us, males, females, however you identify, we're always looking for some kind of role model or some, some sign that, okay, this is what I should be doing. So where did that come from you? How did you learn how to be what in your mind is a man? My situation, uh, I don't know how unique it is, but I strongly believe that it is almost impossible to have a perfect situation where both parents are uh, you know, so wonderful that the child is given everything 100%. Uh, you know, that's unrealistic. However, what is realistic is that if at least one parent is very strong, is very perseverant in how that parent helps the child to develop the dignity, the respect, and the accountability that's that entails when it comes to relationship and communication with other human beings, that will be one variable that will help that child to grow in the right direction. Secondly, because of the fact that you know characters are different, each child has a different character, it is hopeful that through maturity, the child will realize what the values are in being polite, being respectful. And yes, accountability is part of it, and sometimes you have to fight 
a good fight. In other words, you have to make sure that you endure some of those accountability issues in order to be successful. That comes with maturity, and hopefully that character that the individual has will become stronger and more reliable on those things they have learned. Furthermore, we also know that persistent teaching of values reinforces them. And if you keep doing that as a parent, you will reinforce whatever value you are attempting to teach to your child. So your child will develop that, will nourish it, and hopefully eventually will show behavior that demonstrates that. A story comes to mind for when uh, my son was young. He was in, I don't know, grade six, maybe seven. And there was a certain rule in the school where they were not allowed until I think grade eight to go to the front of the school. And that was just so that they could keep an eye on them during supervision. And there were a couple of boys that he was friends with that decided to buck the system and thought it would be cool to go and do that and basically uh, say, screw this, screw the rules. You know, when he was telling me this story, I got a pit in my stomach, but as he's telling me, because I'm thinking, oh gosh, here we go with the peer pressure. But then he said, I let them go ahead. And I said, no, I'm not interested. And they started calling him names, of course, and saying, you know, don't be a pussy and things like that. You know, your typical toxic masculinity. And they've learned that from somewhere because they did not learn that in any of the, the books they learned when they were learning to read. I promise you that. And uh, he said, I don't care. And he walked away. And as he's telling me this, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, how did that feel? And did it, did it hurt your feelings when they said that? He said, I don't care. I wasn't going to do that. It was a stupid idea. I wanted to follow the rules for a reason. So if that's how they want to be, fine. And I was so stunned at such a young age, you could do that. But it's not, not, it's not that easy for people. And not everyone can do that. I find even in adulthood, it's very difficult. Were there times for you, particularly early on in your life, where you knew very well what the right thing to do was, because I don't know sometimes if that's the issue, right? Like most people do know what the right thing to do is, but there's there are influences. What are people going to think of me? I don't want to be the only one speaking out or whatever. Have there been times, and could you tell us if there have been times, what your what the situation was and what the struggle was like? And if you did do the right thing, how did you deal with the backlash or the sacrifice or any of those negative things that can sometimes come with doing the right thing? Yes, uh, I, th I have a couple of examples. Uh, one when I was in elementary school and one when I was in high school. The elementary one was uh, I was out with two other friends and there was some money that uh, was left on a counter at a place that we were at. Uh, I think it was either a coffee shop type or a restaurant, whatever. And these two friends put their hands on the money and said, okay, we're going to take this. They are, and they asked me to you know, come and help them out. I said, uh, no, no, I don't think so. Uh, so they you know, obviously took the money, but I was not part of it. I walked away. Now, why did I walk away? You know, I analyzed that situation very quickly. And it wasn't rocket science for me because for me, there were two things. Number one, first of all, I would have you know, suffered some major, major physical consequences from my father if he found out that I participated in some kind of theft. But secondly, you know, to answer in terms of, well, how did that last long term for you? Uh, well, first of all, the friends ridiculed me because they thought I was gutless, that I didn't have any courage and I was et cetera, et cetera. However, 
for me to know that I did the right thing, aside from the fact that I didn't get punished because I wasn't involved, <laughs> was the fact that these two eventually were caught at this, and they received some major punishment. And I said, well, see, I got away with it by doing the right thing. Now, I didn't consciously talk it out like that, but that's how I felt because that's what the situation really was. Secondly, now in high school, what happened is that uh, we were uh, after a football game and part of my, you know, I was part of a football team. And afterwards, we had a party after our football game. We went there and obviously there were drinks, etc. And I was offered a beer. And I wasn't much of a drinker in the first place. So I, I, I didn't want the drink. So I said, uh, no, thanks. I'll be fine. And then sure, you get the razzing. Oh, come on now. What kind of a man are you? You know, come on. We're football players, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I refused. It just, it, it wasn't me. Well, why did I do that? Well, two reasons. Number one, it has been instilled in me that alcohol, abuse of alcohol was bad. Okay. I mean, that, that's a simple fact. Secondly, because I was driving, I knew very well that if I got caught with any kind of alcohol on my breath, even, even if I wasn't intoxicated, there would have been trouble not only from the law, but also from my father. And again, the same thing happened is that I didn't participate. I didn't suffer any consequences down the line. And yet, some of the people with whom you know I associated as football players eventually were hauled in front of the school coach because mm -hmm. of you know they found out that there was a party there was drinking I mean we were talking seventeen year olds here mm -hmm. and it became a real problematic scenario again a situation of hey listen I made the right choice I didn't get caught up in this web of deceit and suffer the consequences down the line. So it's interesting, as you tell those stories, the commonality to me seems like even if you were not consciously trying to be accountable, you knew that if you if you chose to 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 act in a certain way and and uh, did the wrong thing, that somewhere along the line later, you would be made accountable, whether it was your father or the law. And that seemed to be an amplification of the fact that, yes, I should do the right thing. And which I feel, and maybe I'd like to know if you agree or disagree, some of that, actually a lot of that I think is lacking in today's society, not only perhaps in parenting, at least from my own experience and what I've seen as my kids were growing up and in extracurricular activities and at schools, but also with the law and in society. So I don't know if kids today are growing up with that looming over their head that, yikes, if I do X, I'll either get in trouble with the teachers or with my parents or the law. I, I don't sense that because I feel like what we have done is soften things so much. And not to say we need to go back to harsh and strafing kids in school and all that, but we can't always assume everyone has the fortitude at any age, even as adults, to do the right thing at all times, to have that integrity. Sometimes it's very, very difficult. So we need to have a backstop, I feel, and that would be the threat of. And I know that's what jail sentences are for and threat of police, but I, uh, with the rate at which things are happening, that does not seem to be a deterrent. And also with the recent rulings, I've talked about many of them in my previous episodes, there's no way in hell that any of these legal remedies are a deterrent, especially when the judges are feeling 
I don't know if they're feeling sorry for the aggressors, but saying, you know what, I, I hate for him to lose his job. I hate for him to lose his freedom. So let's just give him a do-over. So I'd like to know, what are your thoughts on that? All right. Now, the, the, the whole idea of accountability, first of all, in my opinion, has to start very early. Because as kids grow up and they see inconsistencies in our society, then it diminishes the effect of what consequences should be and how the students feel or children feel they could get away with things. You know, they'll look at this and say, well, how come that guy and how come this person and how come this happens and I get punished and they don't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there has to be some consistency and it has to start in childhood. So adults have to get together, parents, teachers, educators in general, uh, lawyers, doctors, uh, you know, judges, et cetera, et cetera, and be more consistent when it comes to accountability and look at the fact that accountability is a tool that helps our society. It's not punishment. It's the idea of making sure that whatever decisions we make, there are consequences. Follow up on those consequences to make sure that they are appropriate, logical, and there is a desired outcome. And if all of us start going in that direction, and it's going to take a long time. This is not a magical situation that's going to occur so quickly. It's going to take years, but we have to start somewhere. And if we can begin to do it now as adults by helping the youngsters to develop that and we hold them to it, I strongly believe that we will make some positive inroads for the future. Shit I Learned from My Divorce is written by me, Trish Guys, and produced by Barry Guys. Audio editing and sound design is by Barry Guys. I would love to have you tell a friend or a family member about this podcast, and you can help me share the important concepts I cover by leaving a rating and review of Shit I Learned from My Divorce on Google Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To stay up to date on the latest from me or to contact me, visit my website, trishguys.com. That's T R I S H. G-U-I-S-E. You can also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn at Trish Guys and on Facebook and Instagram at Trish Guys Divorce Coach. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been Shit I Learned from My Divorce with me, Trish Guys, Divorce and Pre-Mediation Coach. Until next time, be good to yourself and to your kids.